it's on us as women to do the work to become more receptive and open and lean back and allow the masculine to come and to lean in and hold space for us so we can relax and surrender. But it's also on the masculine, on the men to do their work, right? Um, to step into that masculine space of, of holding, of projecting. And I think we we talked with you, Melanie, about this, you know, when a man is, is present and in his body, he can so much more easily hold space. And I can feel that in a man. Welcome back to another episode. I am excited to have Anna Rova with me today. She's a feminine embodiment coach who works with single successful women, helping them attract committed masculine men. And we're going to talk about embodiment and women's journey, right? The feminine journey, as well as um, the worst sex that Anna's ever had. So, um, <laughs> well, great, great intro. <laughs> Thanks, Melanie. Yeah, yeah you, should, you should have just started with grade six. Uh, sorry, yeah. worst six. Worst yeah. sex. Yeah, well, I, I was intrigued by uh, that comment. I was on your show and I was intrigued by the, the comment that the first time you had sex with your husband was the worst sex ever because I think there's there's something intriguing about um that sex isn't static. I think a lot of us think of it as sort of binary, either we're having good sex or we're not having good sex. And it's really a lot more complex than that and can evolve and change over the course of a relationship, which is, I don't think something that our culture really talks about. It seems like in most romantic comedies, the couple has sex and it's fantastic the first time. And then it's just always fantastic. And so there's not a lot of nuance demonstrated in that, in that arena. So yeah, I would love to start off with that, that story. And I know that you have also said that that intrigues many of your clients, many of your women clients. So I'd love to hear the story and then why, why does it intrigue your women clients? Well, I think it, it intrigues, intrigues my women clients for the same reason it intrigues everyone and men as well. Because I think when you say, you know, uh, our first sex was terrible and here's why I married him. You know, it's that um, juxtaposition of, of two things that are seemingly don't go together. You know, it's like you're right. You're, you're, you're expecting that your first sex experience, you know, I, I find that a lot of people I, i'm not sure about men actually because i work with women you you're the expert on men here but i'm the expert on women you know we um we judge a lot of the like relationship dynamic by the sex that we're having and and especially the first sex that we're having which is so untrue and it's there's so much misjudgment here so i think um, my example in this story, and and you know, there's a lot of women who I work with who have similar experiences, and they can relax into it. They're like, oh, okay, well, if Anna Rova had didn't have great sex in the beginning, well, maybe I should give this guy a chance, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that's what that's why it's it's very intriguing. And as you said, 
Oh yeah. Six has so many layers to it. Um, and I, I haven't finished the book, but I, but I stumbled upon this amazing book book called passionate marriage. I don't know if you've heard about it. Yeah. It's super interesting in the book. And I know some of your listeners are in currently married and, um, the book is ex- extremely powerful. Just having that parallel between, you know, your issues in sex are actually parallel to your issues in the relationship. So I would highly recommend reading that for anyone who's like, you know, wondering, uh, yeah, but, um, continuing with my story. So I met my husband, but more than six years ago in Colombia, when I was traveling there, I was single, young and single and free. And he was there for a completely different reason, like drugs and girls. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of met at a, you know, at a digital nomad meetup. Um, you know, we're both traveling, we're all both working online and he, he's older than me. So he's 14 years older than me, which actually is part of the story. And yeah, I didn't pay much attention to him. I think he had, he had very, I always say he had no game at all. Like we would expect, and this is another thing that also a lot of my clients, this for them is an aha moment because, um, you know, and I get a lot of questions like, is he masculine? Like they think that if a man is super masculine, they, you know, a man would go after you and pursue and chase. And, you know, in a lot of the cases that's true. And that's what we want as women. We want a man to advance, to make his intentions clear, to go for it, you know, go for the kill, so to say. Uh, But in my case, my man wasn't like that. Um, right off the get-go. Um, and I think how he explained it is that he was looking for signs that I like him, that I'm into him. Um, and so some, and you know, he is a confident, secure, masculine man. And so I think there's a lot of confusion there for women as well. But that's why I also advise women to give men chances so they can show you, um, so they can court and pursue you at their own pace, you know? So anyways, he had no game. And so I was like, who is this guy and why is he here? He was, you know, I was working in cafes and he was just around in the same cafes accidentally, which then I later found out that there was no accident here at all. Everything was calculated, but it was under the radar. Um, And so what happened? I don't know. It was just I'm like, there's this guy around like, okay, we're kind of friends, but not really like I didn't understand. But, you know, I was practicing what I teach all my clients, which, which is, um, I was having a lot of fun. I was dating multiple men. I was open to new experiences and I just didn't care, you know? And, um, and I think he was waiting for the right moment where we're kind of planning a trip, um, somewhere, you know, with a bunch of friends. And then I think we planned a trip with a bunch of friends to like a Colombian coffee plantation or something. And then, uh, he, that trip, that trip fell through. And this was, um, this was his moment, right? This was his moment to like seize the day and catch me in that. And he said, Hey, why don't we go? Why don't we go, um, to, you know, to this place, to this little town called Rio Negro where Pablo Escobar was born. And I was like, that sounds fun. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll rent a motorcycle and we'll go uh, for the, for the day. Okay. For the day this is also important. And so I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, what, what girl doesn't like to be on the back of a motorcycle to be taken to a cool new place. And so we, we go there and, um, and, you know, we kind of walk around and, and, and do things and eat and kind of explore. And at that time I didn't feel much attraction to him. And, 
somewhere around the afternoon, we would sit down at a bar and and start drinking aguardiente, which is um, Colombian, an equivalent of Colombian vodka, basically. And, I, and it was disgusting. And like the whole presentation of how he presented himself, you know, we're sitting at this like cheap bar. He got this vodka and I don't know, some weird cheap snacks. And honestly, I was sitting with him and I, and I was thinking to myself, this is boring. Like, why am I, <laughs> why am I here? But then we kind of started drinking. I've always been the girl that, you know, that had a bit of FOMO. Like, I was like, yeah, fear of missing out. And I'm like, oh, I guess we'll see where this goes. And so, and so he tells me, well, we can, um, you know, tomorrow there's a near, there's a nearby town here that I'd like to visit, but that would mean that, you know, would have to stay overnight. Um, <laughs> you see where this is going. So he was like <laughs> throwing hooks at me. Um, you know, would you be interested in that? Would you be open to that? And I was, you know, I was sitting there was just looking at him and I was like, mm, oh. but, but because I had FOMO, I was like, I mean, I knew exactly what this meant, right? Like if I'm staying overnight, we're obviously, not obviously, but you know, we're probably going to stay in the room and we're probably going to have sex. And I just kind of like, mm, okay, whatever, you know, I, I just went for it. And so, you know, he took me to like, also like a cheap hotel, although to give credit to him, uh, there, there weren't many options around. And so we went there and, you know, he was already drunk and I was kind of tipsy and then, oh my God, I don't, I don't know. Like, honestly, yeah, we, we did end up having sex, which was like a terrible experience because maybe he was drunk, nervous, whatever. I was just, I don't know. So we left, you know, we visited that thing. We came back home. And I remember distinctively that I took out my phone and I recorded a voice message to my girlfriend. And I said, I thought men at 40 know what they're doing in bed. Apparently not. And so I vowed to never, never see this man again. And um, yeah, and about what? A year later, I um, I said yes to marrying him. <laughs> That's it. That's the story. Oh, my God. So can we two things? One, can we go back to when you said he didn't have game? I'm curious what you meant by that. And then can you say a little more about why why it was so bad? Was it fast? Was it you know, you didn't feel attended to what what was you were you were both drunk? You don't remember what was going on? Yeah. So when I said he didn't have no game, which I mentioned earlier, you know, I think all women want to feel that they're pursued. And this is one of the one of the biggest complaints that I hear from from the women I worked, I work with, worked, worked and still work with uh, that, you know, the guy is inconsistent. He's not coming on strong. He's not pursuing. He's not courting me. You know, we want that strong, which I call game. And a lot of the men I think are listening, well, most men would have heard of the book, The Game, which I'm reading now, which is all about, you know, pickup artists and stuff like that. That's why we call game, the dating game, the pursued game. And so, you know, we all want to be courted and pursued. We want a man who's clear in his intentions. And I know that I can trust him and he's consistent. He's coming on, like he's going for it, right? He's messaging me, setting up dates, planning, organizing, paying for dates, and he's leading the direction or where this is going, right? So I don't have to sit there and think where is this going. Now, with my husband, he had no game as in like, he did not give me clear signs that he's interested in me as a romantic partner, that he wanted to take me out. You know, he didn't walk up to me and say, hi, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know, whatever the pickup line is, right? Like 
um, hey, do you want to go, you know, for dinner or can I take you out or, hey, there's this place. He did that later on. So when, when he took me to that trip, we were kind of like friend zone, but I, but I could feel some attraction between us. That's why I didn't, I wasn't very clear about what this, it, there was kind of attraction, but he wasn't coming on to me, making his intentions clear. Um, and that's why I was like, what the hell's going on? And then after this bad sex, I was like, I'm never going to see him again. We, we went to a bar with a bunch of friends <laughs> and then I was super surprised all again, disappointed that we, so we came to a bar, there were a bunch of friends and he just goes to the bar with a friend of his male gets himself and the guy a beer well, they get themselves beer and they come back and I sit there and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We're like, we just had sex and you're kind of into me, but you haven't even offered to like get me a drink. I'm not sure if we can swear here, but yeah. So it's just strange. Like, honestly, yes. <laughs> it was just really, really strange. Yeah. And your second question, right? So, oh, why the sex is bad? Well, God, I can't remember. We're just kind of lying there. Like we knew sex was happening. And then, like, it's supposed to, it's supposed to happen, right? Because, like, a man and a woman lies in bed, there's a little bit of attraction. Like, you're on a trip, we, we might as well, you know, like, why should we waste our time? And, um, yeah, it was just, like, it started with, like, rubbing my back or something. He, so, he was drunk, and I was a little bit tipsy. And then, yeah, like... You know, there, there, there was no, there was no passion. You know, you think about the first sex is like passionate sex. He throws you, he throws you to the wall or in the bed or whatever he throws you. And then he makes love to you. And you're like multi-orgasmic in that moment. None of that happened. It was just like a, you know, in and out kind of real quick, dry. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was just terrible. Like I was, yes, I wasn't attended to. I think it happened like, you know, from the side and I was like oh my god oh and and he packed his toothbrush which I found out in the morning where I didn't pack anything no toothbrush no contact lenses like nothing and so I was pissed at that as well but obviously you know his plan worked well not really but in the end it did work because <laughs> he did marry me <laughs> yeah okay so this this right this gets back to the whole middle part of you got to fill us in. Like what, how did, how did you get from, well, I'm never having sex with, with a man in his forties again, because apparently they don't know what they're doing to saying yes to marrying him. What happened? What changed? Yeah. And that's, that's actually a great, um, a great story as well. And a turning point that I also share with women. I've, I've written a few articles on that about giving men chances and not, not being so rigid and strict about, you know, red flags. This is the whole idea of look for red flags, you know, have your checklist uh, right away. And if he's not fitting into this box that I don't know who came up with, you know, some guy on YouTube who gave you, you know, women search for these things on YouTube or whatever. And they're like, yeah, these are my red flags. You know, um, it's, it's not as simple and black and white as that. And so for me, it definitely wasn't. So the, the turning point for me was that, you know, I mean, obviously after this bad sex and everything and after that situation in the bar, I was like, okay, this guy is definitely a no. Yeah. But I wasn't totally close to it because I was also in a new country. I was having fun and, you know, whatever. Like I was open to whatever. And that's the attitude that I also teach my women when they're dating. I'm like, okay, not be open to whatever. Obviously, know what you want. 
but give men chances because we never know. I think in retrospect, like analyzing this and talking to my husband, I, I, I'm still 100% not clear what happened, but I think he might have been nervous and he also didn't want to screw this up and he didn't want to come strong. Um, and, and he was also looking for the right signals for me that I like him. And I'll tell you when he told me, okay, I know you like me and then everything shifted. But for me personally, what the turning point was when, um, I had, <laughs> I had one debit card, which I got my salary, whatever in Colombia, I was working online remotely. And one day, one magical day, and probably this is what saved the whole thing and why I'm married to this amazing man now is that the ATM in Colombia might ate like, you know, my, my, my only debit card got stuck in the ATM and all of my money was there and I had to pay rent, obviously I had to do groceries, whatever. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I called my bank and stuff and they said, oh, to send you a new card, it's going to take weeks or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, what can I do? And, and String, so his name is String, it's a nickname. He was still in my radar. Like we were kind of friends. Like we were we were friends who had bad sex, you know, and this wasn't going anywhere in my mind. <laughs> he always had hope. <laughs> Men are oblivious sometimes. And so, um, you know, and I kind of, I can't remember what was it. I said, I think because he was close, I was keeping him kind of close or he kept himself close to me, obviously not expecting anything. Um, I just messaged him and I said, hey, um, you know, I have this situation and I don't know what to do. And he said, how much money you need? And I said, well, about, I think it was about $1,500 at that point. And he said, I'll bring you the money today. You can pay me back whatever you can. And so next day in the morning, there was cash on my table. And I was like, whoa, you know, so that moment when he showed up in a way that I did not expect you know, because I was a stranger to yeah, he had sex with me, but whatever. Like I was a stranger. We did, we were not friends. We we're, you know, he showed up and he essentially, it's not that he saved me because I don't want to be saved. And I'm sure I would have found another solution, but he showed himself from a completely different way or a different perspective. And I knew at that point that I could trust him. I could trust him like this man, I will be safe with this man. He can protect me. He can pro provide for me. So it was that instinctual, you know, that polarity, I think, was activated. Because most women, we want, most feminists, when we want a protector and a provider, want to feel that the masculine is holding me, right? That I can fully relax. So he gave me that money. And it was not about the money. He jokes that he bought me for $1,500. So he bought an Eastern European wife for, for that amount. <laughs> But something shifted in that moment. And then one thing led to another. And then because I changed my perspective and I started to see him differently, I was more open to him. So it's kind of like if before I was totally closed and with my back to him, well, kind of still, okay, he's here, you know, but then I turned to him. And from that moment, the dynamic shifted. And honestly, <laughs> after that, he like invited me to a breakfast and I said, yes. And we started kind of hanging out, going to the movies. Um, and, and one thing led to another and I invited him for dinner. And this was the sign. This is when he said he knew I really liked him when I invited him for dinner and I cooked him really nice dinner. I think it was like pasta with prawn or something like that. And he was like, I knew that you liked me when you cooked me that delicious dinner. And so one thing led to another and I started like really laughing at his jokes. And honestly, from that moment, the sex started to become amazing. <laughs> I, had, 
I had the best sex of my life after that with him. And we had so much fun. So I don't know if I were to analyze this, really go back. I think that moment where I saw this man with it was, but it wasn't like I knew he didn't expect anything from me. You know, it was that moment of I saw him as someone who I could really trust and rely on in a way that was major for me. You know, I was in a, in a weird situation in a new country, you know, without money or anything. And, and, and yeah. And I think because I turned to him and I started to look at this man of like, wow, you know, and then obviously I started noticing how he behaves with other people. He, I think he relaxed a lot more. And so, yeah, I'm not saying you should like plot this with a woman you like, you know, um, but but it works, you know, when you're in a situation where you can show a woman that you are reliable and trustworthy and she can relax and surrender, um, that I think that changes everything. Yeah, there's something there's something really beautiful about that dynamic, too, because there was a certain amount of openness and receptivity on your part as well. Right. The fact that you even reached out to him at all, you off you kind of made a way for him to connect with you, right? You were open enough to say, oh my God, this thing happened. I'm not sure what to do. And that provided a space for him to step into. And I think, so there, I think there's, there was polarity on, on both sides of you being willing to be open and allow someone like him to provide for you was part of why he could step into that space. And then I think that's really important what you said about non-attachment was the word that came to me when you said he didn't have expectations around lending you this money. It wasn't, I'm going to lend you this money and now I'll have power over you. It was part of the reason it sounds like to me that you knew you could trust him is because it didn't feel like there were a bunch of strings attached. It wasn't, I'm going to lend you this money and then you have to do things for me. It was just, oh, you have a need and I can provide. I want to provide for you. I want you to feel feel okay and be able to stay here and feel comfortable. Let me provide this without this means a bunch of other things on top of that. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I want to point here is that, you know, he would do this for anyone. It wasn't just me because he was obviously interested romantically and sexually. He, and, and I felt okay and open to reaching out to him because I knew you know, because if I if I thought or if I thought of him as, you know, this like douchebag guy or this asshole type of guy who only wants to get into my pants or like I, I saw his character because I think I saw his character. And, and because we were kind of hanging out even during that trip with really bad sex, you know, by the way, he was, you know, we were talking about our trips and what he does for work. I knew that he's he's a trustworthy human, you know. It, one thing that I wasn't super attracted to him at that point, right, or it was worrying, whatever. I knew that, you know, I I, I could trust this guy. It doesn't mean that we're going to end up anywhere, but like he 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 uh, looked and sounded like a like a solid guy, you know, who I would ask for advice, opinion, or for help, and that's what I normally tell women as well because I think. What women do is is mis the mistake that women do is because she's not attracted to him right away, she's completely dismissing him, right? But he he can have all these amazing qualities, and he might not end up being a boyfriend, right? Like I, 
I talk to so many women who, when they do this personal growth work together with me through embodiment and reframing their beliefs and stuff, they start suddenly, you know, noticing the neighbor who lived next to her for like freaking 20 years and he's, she's never noticed him. And now she's asking him to like help her, I don't know, mow the lawn or asking him questions about air conditioning. How does it work? Change tires. And he's gladly doing that, <laughs> you know? So a lot of the times, I think women self-sabotage themselves to not being open to great men because of all, you know, being in the head and having these checklists or red flags or whatever, instead of just, yeah, just being open and, and, and say, and reaching out in terms of like for help, asking for help. And men will gladly, <laughs> most men, you know, will gladly attend to that. Yeah. Well, also I, I like what you said about, you know, the, the, the truth of his integrity, the truth of who he was as a man shown through, right. You, you knew him to be a trustable human being, like you said, and that's what had you feel safe enough in the first place to ask him for help in that moment. And that's kind of what led to the romance. And that I think is reassuring or can be reassuring for a lot of men that, especially when you're getting to know people over time, you can trust to a certain extent that when you're showing up, just being yourself in integrity, that is noticed. That is being noticed, especially by someone that you would want to be with. So there's a certain amount of, of you know, we talk about like, just be yourself, which isn't really a helpful trope, but there is something to trusting your own process, trusting your own beingness, that you are a transmission, just walking through the world. And that the right people will resonate with that, including the right dating partners. And I love that you brought up, you know, um, your your clients who maybe asked their neighbors for help or were just more open to men providing for them. And when I say the word providing, I don't necessarily mean money. It could be attention. It could be a listening ear. It could be it could be practical support, you know. But I'm curious if you can take us a little bit through that experience of working, your experience of working with women who are in the process of opening up or softening or becoming more receptive, because I do think that a lot of my men have encountered maybe more closed women, like closed off women, or it, it can feel intimidating. Um, what is that like working with those women? What, what kinds of shifts do those women see? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I think, I think we're coming to the subject of polarity. Um, here, which is, you know, there's so many layers to it and it could be labels and stuff. But um, I think that work and why I say polarity is because that work needs to be on both sides always. So, you know, when I work with women, because I work with women and there, there is no men involved, there's no other side. I know as a woman myself is that when I take radical responsibility for my part, I do what is my capacity using the tools that I have to activate that dynamic in the relationship, that openness, that re receptivity with me as a woman. So, you know, it's so funny, Melanie, when we talked about, when we talked about this on my podcast, you know, the men are having the same problem that my women are having. So the men are saying, you know, oh, she's too uptight or rigid or not open or whatever. But then the woman is saying, well, I can't trust him. You know, he's too in his feminine. Like, you know, I can't relax around him. He complains that I'm too intimidating. So I just want to start by saying, I think it's so beautiful that both of us, 
both of us, I mean, men and women, we want the same thing, right? And so that's why we, when I started doing this work, it was really interesting to me that, you know, well, today, especially today, right, when women have the most amount of opportunities, you know, we live in a great time for women, right? But it has taken us a little bit too far in the sense that this whole male bashing mentality, you know, masculinity is toxic and it has so many repercussions from that. But it's almost like today women are like, well, I'm going to go for what I want and I'm successful and independent and strong. And then you have to show me that you're worthy. Right. So there's this whole thing like I'm going to go for it. And then you guys need to do the work to like keep up with with us women because of you know, whatever, whatever. And so I don't think that's, that's right. Um, and so when I work with women, we take radical responsibility and we say, okay, what is my part here? And what can I do here? How can I work on myself so I can become more receptive and more open so that that, you know, cloak of independence and my success, you know, does not walk in front of me. And I talk about the three lies of female success, which is, you know, I need to be strong and independent at all times, that femininity is weakness. And um, what is the third? I always forget the third. But so it's on, our, it's on us as women to do the work, to become more receptive and open and lean back and allow the masculine to come and to lean in and hold space for us so we can relax and surrender. But it's also on the masculine, on the men to do their work, right? Um, to step into that masculine space of, of holding, of projecting. And I think we we talked with you, Melanie, about this, you know, when a man is, is present and in his body, he can so much more easily hold space. And I can feel that in a man. And so that's why I love the work that you're doing with men, because that's the thing. My man, String, my husband, he was a masculine committed man, right? And that's why I reached out to him in, in, in need, in times of trouble, because I knew I could feel by the way he acted, by the way he said, you know, certain things to me. I knew that I could trust this man. I could relax and surrender with him and that he's got my back. Now, the romantic side of it is is like secondary, right? And and today, I have a lot of men in my life that I can ask for help and support. And not I mean most the reality that I live in, which is why women come to work with me. I live in a reality with great men around because I believe with my whole body, every single cell of my body believes that great men are out there and they are in the majority. Because at one point when I did my work, I have, you know, reframed my belief system about men, about relationships, about women. I refuse to live in a world where men are toxic and assholes and cheaters and pigs because I, and then I saw evidence for that everywhere that men are great and, and they're, and, and, you know, for the men that are listening, because I know there's so many questions there and, Oh my God, like today men question their masculinity, you know, and their ability to stand strong in what they believe in, their ability to lead, their ability to even be firm and assertive with a woman to say, hey, give me your hand. We're going to go there or 8 p.m. tomorrow night. I'm picking you up. We're going to this restaurant. Oh my God. Like I got tingles in, in, in my sex, you know, when I hear men say that. <laughs> so um, maybe I went a little bit of the tangent, but that polarity is created when a man really, it's, it's, it's what you're saying. 
how could I be myself? But there, and I'm so happy that there's so many men right now who are doing men's work, um, who who actually tell men the message: be unapologetically a man. You know, stand strong in your masculinity because not only that's attractive to a woman, but that also what's needed in the world: a man who can stand strong in his masculine, in his healthy masculine. Now there's unhealthy and and healthy. Of course, there is toxic masculinity, just in the same way that there is toxic femininity out there, right? But do not under or override that impulse to to hold space to be to go for it. Women love when a man goes for it and says, "Hey." I've picked a place. I'm picking up at 8 p.m. All you have to do is show up. Oh, my God. What an amazing thing for a successful, independent, busy woman to hear. That's that's what we want to hear in dating. Um, so am I answering your question? I think the other part was like women are, yeah, they, they find intimidating. But I'll let you pick, pick it up from here and then maybe ask me more. Yeah, well, I like what you said about, you know, men feeling like they can lead and be met in be in leading. And I do think that a lot of the men I've worked with have um, a lot of fear around being pushy or too probing or um, yeah, not doing it right. Like I'm afraid that if I lead and I do it poorly, she'll humiliate me. A lot of my men have a fear of being humiliated. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to that of, you know, do you think that like, basically I'm wondering if the women that you work with are on their own journey and when they're, when they are sort of more closed, you know, you, you spoke a little bit to this, but that what is their belief system often when you start working with them, what are the patterns you're seeing and what they do believe? Like men will never be there for me or men will hurt me. Like what are the sort of common patterns? Because I think that that's, I think that's really true. I think a lot of women do hold a lot of those beliefs and, you know, for some of them, they're, they're well-founded. They're, they're founded out of, Mm -hmm. out of trauma. Yeah. So I first want to say that, that, you know, that consideration of, I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want to come off as like this creep, like this stalker. This is so admirable, admiring, admirable. Right. And women really, really appreciate that. And I, and I want to, for all the men listening, I really appreciate that as a woman, because it tells me, that you have integrity and that you actually care about my feelings and how you come off in that dynamic. So that's number one. And I think the key to overcoming this is actually finding that balance between, you know, how do I stand strong in my masculinity as a man and go for it, right? And at the same time, respect a woman's boundaries and her desires, right? So there is a way to do this respectfully and gracefully. And I actually, I was, I was interested in the same thing because I work with women. You work with men, Melanie. And I was asking, I've interviewed a lot of men on my podcast. And I was like, how do you know that line, right? Because it's so hard to know, okay? Because you also don't want to ask for permission. Like, you know, this whole cultural trend today, ask for permission, like always, uh, no is a no. That's not true. I've said plenty of times, no. And what actually that meant, you need to work harder. You need to come stronger because I'm not feeling your presence and I'm not feeling your masculine right here. Cause you're like wishy-washy. I'm like, no, like with string, you know, I was like, no, <laughs> but that no meant there was a hook there. There was an underpinning 
idea that come on stronger to me, right? Like I want to feel your presence. David Data in his amazing book that I actually sent to all of my women, The Way of the Superior Man, he says, as the masculine, you need to stand strong. She will test you and she will come at you with her storm, emotional storm, whatever storm, right? You need to stand strong and you need to let her know with your presence, right, that you are unwavering. That's what we want from our men. And that's what the world needs from our men as well, for men to lead in their masculine, but with heart. So that's number one. And number two, what you said, oh gosh, you know, I read like I was there myself and so many women, they are afraid, they are afraid and to, to be hurt. They're afraid to have their heart broken. They're afraid to be taken advantage of. It's that typical archetypal, I think. Um, you know, uh, line or thread of the feminine being so scared of being taken advantage of or used or for the masculine to, to, to take advantage of her and to take her, to take her against her consent, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's so real. And it has been done like that's even, that's so unconscious. And that has been done to women for generations. And, you know, we, we need to work through that. A lot of the women who I work with, I always say that story stops with you because that belief system of the feminine is weak, the masculine is strong. I can't trust men. I Men are all cheaters. You know, relationships are not, relationships aren't happy. Relationships are broken. There's so many beliefs that we carry. And I actually ask women to do a very simple exercise, you know, stream of consciousness. What comes first to your mind in three columns, relationships, men, women. And you'll see, well, in in a lot of the women who struggle in dating and attracting the right men, they have a distorted belief system, an unhealthy belief system about themselves, first of all, their self-worth, about relationships in general, and about men, because they we grew up with seeing those models, right? We grew up with men not being there, fathers not being there, men being in their toxic relationships, not good enough. And so all of that is in our system. And then when we go out there, of course, because this is our belief system, we are guarded, always guarded, looking for evidence where that is actually true. Right. And when we attract those types of men again and again, the asshole who, who goes to you, who doesn't show up, who is not trying, you're like, yep. My belief system is right and true. And it kind of builds up on that. It's like a snowball effect. And of course, they come to, you know, when they're 30, 40, and they're attracting these types of men who can't be trusted, right? And then we have all these cultural messages that tell us that men are toxic. And then here, here sits the full package woman who's super successful, who's achieved everything she wanted, sitting there looking at the ceiling. She's like, what the hell am I doing wrong? I do not understand what's going on. And so he comes on Narova and tells her <laughs> everything she needs to know and teaches her some tools and, and reframing principles. And, um, and really, I think my work is mostly about teaching women how to regain trust in men and how to be, because she wants it. You know, it's like so potent. There's nothing more attractive and juicier and, just so exhilarating for a woman who's like this successful, ambitious woman who makes decisions. You know, some of these women I work with are bankers and lawyers and, oh my God, like high, you know, high up there. All they want is to 
meet a man who she can fully trust and relax with and surrender, surrender in her relationship dynamic and surrender in, in sex. And if a man, and that's why I'm saying it's always on both sides. It's a woman's work to do that, but it's also on the men to allow themselves to step into that, to unapologetically, you know, claim their masculinity and trusting that impulse that I will do the right thing because my intention is true and healthy and I will be respectful. And look, the last thing I'm going to say here, we're all going to make mistakes. Honestly, we're all good. We're all, we don't know what the hell we're doing. And every single woman in my program, I tell her, you know, every man is a teacher. And every man you're going to meet after this one is going to be better and better and better because we're all learning and we're all making mistakes. And so we should not be afraid, you know, to, yes, a woman might reject a guy or say something that's not graceful, that's not feminine. Who cares? You're practicing. Same thing for a man. Yes, you might come too strong, right? And she's like, ooh, that wasn't respectful. She's setting up a boundary. This is your time to own and say, I apologize. That was too strong. This was disrespectful. I apologize. I didn't realize that. That's okay. And we'll move forward. I really like that point because I do think there's a certain amount of risk-taking feels scarier if it feels Hmm. binary. Meaning if I say the wrong thing, she will reject me and also label me a pervert and shame me for the rest of my life. I think there's a visceral terror of I will be rejected fundamentally for who I am instead of, hey, that wasn't cool. I would like that to be done a different way. And then the repair of, I hear you, that wasn't cool. I will do it a different way. The the faith that we can make mistakes together (laughs) and find our way, I think is part of that belief system. And I, I like what you said there about, you know, things originating generationally, right? It's not just our family of origin, but it's also the wider history in in our families and in our cultures where, you know, women have been used and denigrated for centuries. And so there's a certain amount of trauma that's still being resolved. And that's why I think it's part of why it's so brave of all of us that are doing personal growth work to do so, because we're kind of closing loops that have been open for centuries or wounds that have been open for centuries that are, you know, just sort of starting to be explored now when those of us that have the resources are able to have our basic needs met such that we can explore things like therapy and somatic therapy and embodiment and, we're willing to go places that I think our ancestors weren't willing to go for valid reasons. And there's mm. something I really like about that, you know, your own journey and the journey of a lot of your women of <clears throat> being willing to being willing to change our stories, being willing to change our narratives, being open to maybe men can show up for me. Maybe women can be receptive to me right? There takes, it takes a certain amount of courage to be willing to change that story because that story has, is, you know, there's a part of us that's trying to protect us. That story has been used as a way of, you know, I think you said the word um, shield or that that was the impression I got was this is a way that I've shielded myself. This is a way that I've guarded myself against being hurt. And I think you spoke eloquently to that, that underlying fear of, I'm afraid of being taken advantage of. I'm afraid of being used. 
And that's something that sort of softens, I think, over time. And so I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to, you know, the women that you've worked with and as you've worked with them and then in the time after, what has their experience with men been like after, after that work? I would imagine that they, they are sort of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it could be like this, or it feels like I'm attracting different kinds of men. What, what, what happens? Oh my God. It's, that's why I'm mostly excited about, about that part because, you know, the, the actual work is, is gruesome and sometimes really painful, to be honest. You know, there's a lot of women who come into this work and, you know, we have this famous and infamous module two that gives them the tools to like excavate and reframe all these beliefs. And for a lot of women, that's that that in itself is scary. It's scary to go there and to actually feel because I do a lot embodiment work. We actually need to allow and welcome and feel what is here, feel the hurt. And when we realize, you know, that, oh my God, I do believe that I can't trust men, that is painful that's painful to, to even feel. And so, you know, when they get over that hump, the rest is like, honestly, magical. And that's why I do this work, because when I see women take radical responsibility and do the work, it's subtle and slow, but the whole world changes upside down. And this is, these are actually, you know, direct words from so many of, of my clients where, they say that I didn't, I didn't real, you know, I was blind and now I see, you know, they start to soften up, not only in their belief system towards men and towards relationships and themselves, but they also soften up in their bodies. You know, so many women, because we had to be strong and we not had, we still have to be strong and independent and succeed. A lot of that masculine energy uh, that is amazing and helps us go and succeed and do things in the world. That's the, that a lot of that is actually really heavy on a woman's body who, whose primary need is to actually relax in relationship. Right. And in, in her life as well. And so we just don't have avenues for that. We don't have avenues for that with the men because we, you know, are so uptight and rigid. We don't have avenues with that in our personal life with friends in, you know, in, in work. So all these women are like walking around so angular and rigid in their energy. And this is partly why, well, not partly, mostly why men find them really intimidating. Cause it's not like they're not approachable. That's why I teach all the women you, when you do this work, when you go through our program, you become a lot more approachable. And all these women like wake up one day and like, oh my God, men are approaching me. And I'm like, well, just by the fact that you're a woman, you're already approachable. Like, you know, my husband, will. he was like, don't women understand that they're attractive by default? And I'm like, no, they don't. So we need to teach, I need to teach them that. And so that's what happens because they're, they're softening not only you know, as they do that personal growth work, but because we do a lot of embodiment and actually embodiment is key and a unique mechanism that I do in my work with women, they're softening in their bodies, in the way they walk, in the way they stand, you know, in the way they like present themselves. And of course, the major transformation happens with the men that they're noticing just simply because, you know, after going through this process, she sits at a bar or she walks on the street and when a man comes in and I'll give you an example. There was a story. I was walking with my girlfriend. There was a long time ago. We were in Barcelona 
and I was already doing this work, but she wasn't. We, we weren't really close friends. So she was still in that process. She was hurt before and stuff like that by men. And we were working on the street in Barcelona. There's this like huge square, whatever. And there was this guy who I think was like 15, 16 or 17. He walked past and he made one of those comments, you know, like that, that unhealthy, immature masculine men or men make, you know, like, oh, nice ass or whatever, you know, or like blah, blah. And so, <laughs> you know, obviously, like a lot of women would my friend turned around and started cursing him or started reacting to it or whatever. And I turned around and I look at the guy and what I saw is that immature teenager guy who doesn't know any better, right? Who at this point in his life doesn't have any tools or the resources to see women more than a sexual object. And so when I look at that, and that's how I look actually at so many of these t- toxic masculinity displays today, which we all know of, I look at that and I'm like, wow, you've been hurt, right? And you're acting now and you are behaving now from that mindset and from that experience. And I look at that with empathy and not necessarily understanding. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm not supporting or encouraging 100%. But I look at that and say, wow, you've been hurt. Because most probably you've been raised by a mother, by an absent father, first of all, who is totally in his immature, masculine, unhealthy, but also by a mother who doesn't know any better as well. So anyways, that's just an illustration of, of a story of how what happens when a woman does this work. And so when she gets approached at a bar, by a man who perhaps, you know, just visually she doesn't like him or she doesn't like what he says, whatever. She's not quick to take her martini and flip it around and like pour it on his head, right? Or to reject, I'm talking now to the fear that you're saying that men have, you know, being rejected, being humiliated, right? That's the biggest fear. So these women learn how to lean back and actually be human and be vulnerable. One of the biggest learning moments in the women that I work with that they report is actually developing a lot of empathy for the masculine journey. Women have no idea what men have to go through to walk across the bar and ask her a question, right? Or ask for her number or give her a compliment. That takes a lot of balls. And so women just take it for granted because we never have to do that. We just sit there at a bar, put on some makeup and show up, right? And so that's what happens. They soften up so much. And they start to see men in a completely different light. Like they start to appreciate the little things, you know, the neighbor that, I don't know, took out your garbage bin or I don't know, did some extra thing for you. You're like, wow, thank you. So what happens is that she starts to look for evidence of this new reality. And she starts to see it everywhere because, again, coming back to what I said in the beginning, great men are everywhere. And they are, in fact, in the majority. And they're doing the work and, and they're doing everything they can, right? Of course, we wanted more of it. And of course, I want, you know, these phrases, men have to do the work. Yeah, men have to do the work. But let's start with you. Because when you do the work, you're also inviting and, and giving an example and leading by example of how, you know, women can be and how men can be. And thus, we create this new reality where our children grow up in the world. And that's why I do this whole work. Future generations will see a better, you know, a, a model of how relationships can be and how men and women relate to each other. There's something I really like about that too, because it feels, 
inviting in terms of it's almost like we can share power that that's you know as a couple it's 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 not about power over it's about power with and i think that's kind of where our world is going as well of it's not that being soft and being open and receptive is weak that's actually quite strong and and challenging and and risky in its own way and all of us in relationship need to do that right all of us need to hold the feminine and the masculine at different times and you talk about it's interesting the the softening literally in your body for the feminine um my experience with the men that i work with is often similar meaning they're they're holding a lot of tension or rigidity in different parts of their body their chest their stomach their psoas different parts of their body and as they work on those parts and as they relax and move and start to actually feel their emotions What's interesting is that it loosens up their own power, right? Their masculine power, their ability to lead in their lives, lead themselves and also lead the feminine comes online. So there's a certain amount of the melting of tension or the softening of the rigidity and the holding in our bodies as a collective that I think leads to a lot more of life being able to flow through us and actually move the way that life wants to move because there's a natural drive to connect, right? There was a natural drive that your husband had where he was drawn to you and he, he wasn't going to pursue in a direct way, but he did, you know, he wanted to be around you. He was drawn to you. He orchestrated it so that he was at cafes and he wanted to take you on a trip. And he was, he was leading in his own way at the time. And as he relaxed, once he had sort of the signals from you, which I also hear from my men a lot of, once I know she likes me, then I show up differently. (laughs) Then there was even more of that relaxation available rather than holding tension or holding back or just the, the, I'm clenching my fist. You can't see it, but I'm clenching my fist with that sense of having to hold or grip versus relaxing, allowing and flowing. I think there's a natural dance that shows up. And in, in high quality partnerships, you know, there's a way that we can share power. So it's not that either of us has power over the other, but we're both able to flow with what, what's needed in the moment, right? What's required in this moment from us, we can, we can go there instead of I'm never able to soften or I'm never able to lead because of my fear. Mm. Yeah. This actually brings us to a really interesting conversation, which I think we had a little bit on on my podcast, Melanie, because we both do embodiment work. I work with women, you work with men. And then we talked about, well, is that a quality of softening in your body? Because it's really interesting. You, while I'm saying, you know, a lot of women carry that, you know, rigidity and uptightness and that kind of like tension, right? A lot of it is frozen tension in the body. To me, that's a lot of the, to, to me in women, in women's bodies, it's particularly the consequence of a lot of that masculine energy that we have to generate. Like we literally have to generate and go for it, right? But it's interesting that on the flip side, when you do the work with men, you also say, yeah, there's a lot of tension in men's bodies too. And so when, when men soften up and let go and melt what is that right so that so I'm curious and there's a discussion right that melting and softening and and just being here presently that's what we discussed with you is that 
a feminine quality of embodiment or is that actually, or is that not? And I think what we discussed with you and the conclusion we came to is that, and I, and I truly believe that feminine energy is very different, like shows up differently in men and women. It has to, because we have different bodies. We have different energy centers that activate our energy. So in my view, when a man opens up and softens and and is vulnerable, this is where we talk about masculine energy being healthy and leading with heart. So he relaxes and opens up to the, not to the point where he becomes this um, you know, kind of wishy-washy, I can't trust you, you know, masculine, because he, 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 it takes a certain level of courage and vulnerability to actually relax into your body as a man and you have a man's body, right? I mean, of course, there's some men with feminine, complete feminine essences, but women's bodies operate differently. You know, we're in cycles and we're emotional and we're so much more connected to that I want to open to life and surrender. Like a man, I mean, he can he can assume and, and play with these energies in his body. He definitely feel them. But to get into the depth of it, like to actually just in the same way, like I, I, I have a sense because I studied men as rats in the lab. Or, you know, like I interviewed them. Like I actually at some point in my the peak of my career at work and my masculine energy, I actually felt how it is to have a penis. I don't know if you've ever had that, Melanie, but I, I had a felt sense that I have a dick, you know, but obviously these are just my imaginations because I don't have a male body and I don't have testosterone running through my veins and, and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. But I think through my discussion with you, I also had kind of an aha moment that, wow, yeah, embodiment is so important. And when we both men and women, you know, relax and melt into our bodies and we're not so uptight and rigid, then perhaps we just allow for more life to flow within our unique and natural polarity, which is in most men, I'm not saying all, but in most men, it's that masculine, you know, ability to hold. And I'm here like, like string, you know, he's like, I'm holding this for you. I don't need anything from you. I'm here. I'm generous. I'm giving, you know, you can relax. You can surrender. I don't need anything from you. I'm here. And at the same time, as a woman, I can relax and say, oh my God, take me, right? Because I trust you. And like, I, I can surrender and trust you and then take me wherever you think that we need to go. Yes. I really like that part about the holding and the trustability, it really brings to mind the image of a tree, right? It's, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm holding, I'm providing, and I'm here. And there's such power in that. It doesn't need to be super active. It doesn't need to be, it's just you being who you are rooted to the earth is soothing. (laughs) Like, I feel yeah. like that about anyone who's holding the masculine in, in a moment, the, the quality, that quality of stillness and presence and embodied, rooted groundedness is, is inherently soothing. I can fall apart. I can have the experience, whatever is going on for me. And I know that you're still there. You're still there. You're still holding. You're still rooted. 
you're, you're holding a position of strength so that I don't have to, because if you're not holding that, I feel like I need to hold that. And so I think there's, there's something beautiful about that quality. Like we were talking about of embodied masculine men are inherently attractive, even if they're not quote doing anything, just their presence is attractive. And I think that's, well, that's something, yeah, that's been something that I've noticed in my men as they've done the work that they notice, you know, sort of to your point, they're like, oh, I'm being approached more and not just by women, but they're given more responsibility at work. They're given promotions. Mm-hmm. They're given raises. They have a different experience moving through the world. Their friends are opening up to them more. They, they, they notice a felt difference moving through the world. And that, that quality you're talking about of melting is actually a big part of it. Because if you're a man and you're breathing shallowly all the time and you're holding a lot of tension in your system, you are less trustable. It's harder to trust you. Whereas a man who's breathing deeply, who's relaxed in his physiology, who's present in the moment is soothing. He's calming. He's trustable. So it takes a certain amount of work to get there. But then once you're there, you're like, oh, this is a lot easier. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a lot easier in my body and I'm getting better results in the world. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say that embodiment, this is why it's such a unique mechanism. Embodiment is essentially the truth of who you are. And it's a skill that we all have. We just need to develop it. And when we do embodiment as men, as women, it just helps us get back, <clears throat> get back or in touch to who we are, right? It's the truth of who you are. And so you actually don't, because a lot of men are like, how do I be more feminine? And men are like, how do I be more masculine? And there's all these BS on the internet, in YouTube or Instagram, do these 10 things to be more feminine, you know, wear skirts and da-da-da candles and flower, do creative things and wear, I don't know, be more stylish and makeup. And for men, it's like, I don't know, you know, do go run and increase testosterone and stand like this, right? So a lot of these things, yeah, they're important, but they're just sprinkles on top. And so when you add the embodiment element, actually not add, when you start with embodiment of it, then what it does is that we come back and get in touch with who we are. Like, how do you be more feminine? You got to get out of your head and move and breathe and, and feel. And as a woman that helps you be not more feminine, but just come back to your natural essence, which is the feminine. And for men, which is the masculine. So it's like, how can these are just tools to come back to, to who you are? And, and it's easy. Because and, and 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 it's it's bliss when you do it because you don't need to do anything extra or fight or become somebody you're not. It's just back to your essence, so you can show up in the world fully as as you working with those engines that are that are built in your body. For women, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a mother of two, and so when I actually became a mother or became pregnant for the first time, that clarified so many things for me. And the last thing I'm going to say is about power, because you said not power with, but not power over, but with. I, I feel like this is the thing about two sides, because women feel like femininity is weak and the masculine is powerful. Therefore, if I relax into my feminine, he's going to take over and he's powerful. And I believe that perhaps men feel the same way. You know, they don't want to overpower. But in my belief system, I feel like that's what we need to talk about more and more. The feminine and the masculine are equally powerful. There's no inferior or, you know, 
inferior or what's the other word? Um, dominant sub and stuff like that. I don't use those words because, yeah, it can be shared power, but it's also equal. We are equal playing into our natural strengths. That's why it's not 50-50. It's not 80-20. It's 100-100. And I've written plenty of articles about this. If you are struggling in your relationship and when you choose to play this polarity and get back to your you know, essence and your natural self, and you're playing that in relationship, but also in the world, it's a hundred and a hundred equals 200. And that's the world that I live in. And I help women, <laughs> you know, live in that world as well. I love it. And so if people are interested in finding out more about you, where should they go? And how does that work? Yeah. So, um, my, I have a podcast called Claimed. Uh, obviously, you know, the podcast is for women, but I interview women, men, and I also produce a lot of um, solo episodes there. I have a YouTube channel, Anna Rova. I think if people just Google me as Anna Rova, they'll find my YouTube channel, my Instagram, um, my writing, and obviously the site as well called claimed.com. Claimed. I love it. Mm. Love being claimed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what women want. (laughs) That's why we want our men to claim us. (laughs) Oh, that was great. Hey guys, I know that in this episode, we talked a bit about mentorship and getting the right mentors. And we've had a few clients come in recently who said, I just felt called to work with you. I just felt like you were the right coaches for me at this time. And I just want to empower anyone out there that's thinking about working with us or curious about working with us. And when I say us, I mean myself and Jason Lang, who's been on many of these episodes. You can always understand more about us by taking our free training, which you can find at evolutionary.men slash training. That's evolutionary.men slash training. And I guess I just want to empower you that if you are feeling called, if you feel like you want to grow and you feel like we might be the mentors for you, I encourage you to reach out. I encourage you to learn more and I encourage you to reach out, take the next step and move forward because we've seen great growth and movement in the men that we've worked with. And that's been more and more the messages. I just, I felt called. I felt the call. So if you feel the call, answer the call.